Welcome, everybody. Fantastic to see you. Um, I think some of the rest of this evening is going to be quite relevant to what John's been sharing with us. You'll see kind of why that is as we share. These are my very good friends, Scott and Claire Marks. Scott and Claire are from the nation of Zimbabwe. Hands up. Anybody's ever been to Zimbabwe? Put your hand in the air. Not many. One at the back. Two. Yeah, a couple of people. Well done. Um, and uh, they're also working into Mozambique. Hands up, anyone's been to Mozambique? I know you two have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it's our joy and privilege to have them with us here this evening. Uh, Scott's going to actually share the word with us in, in a few moments, but we thought it'd be really good if we could uh, interview them uh, this evening just to get a little bit to, to know them a little bit more and also to ask them some questions about what life's like in a nation like Zimbabwe at the moment. Um, and we'd like to get to know a little bit about the, the churches that they're working with, some of the dreams that they've got, etc., etc. And I'd love them to speak into maybe even a little bit about what we're going through now as a nation, because I think it's all relative depending where you live in the world, if I could just put it like that. And you're about to find that out as well. So um, would you like to ask the first question? Sure. Claire, so you've raised a family in... Zimbabwe, and throughout your children's lives, they've the country's been in financial crisis and all sorts of challenges. What's it been like raising a family in that environment? Um, yeah, I think it has definitely had its challenges. Um, just, I suppose, even when they all came back um, from university last summer, um, it was, they had only been home a few weeks when the, there was no power. The power went, so we only had power from 10 at night till 5 in the morning, which is what it still is mostly. Um, so you, you are dealing with a lot of logistical challenges all the time. Um, but I think it's also a really good way to raise kids um, because they learn to appreciate things a lot more. Um, and even when we took them into Mozambique and it was quite, you know, we, we camped for a bit and they didn't have a lot of um, luxuries they, we actually found they got on so brilliantly together. It was like it really drew us together as a family. Um, they've both said, actually, that they would love to do a similar thing if they have kids one day. They'd love to do a, a kind of daring, missionary-like adventure with their kids. So I think they've really loved and appreciated a lot of it. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to God we've, we've had the challenges we've had. And um, as a church in a city... How is, how is the church handling the difficulties at the moment? Um, yeah, it's very tough at the moment. Uh, just people really struggling to get cash. Cash is a big problem. You, there's no cash, really. You can't draw cash out the bank. Um, and I think what's really tough is the poorest get hit the hardest in, with all these things because they need cash to catch any transport. The taxi services that work only work with cash. And to get that cash, then they would have to use their swipe money in their bank account and have to pay 50% more. So there's this huge um, disparity between you have to pay more to get a little bit of cash. So they're just continually getting hit the hardest. So I think um, from a church point of view, we do see that people are really struggling. But also amazing testimonies you'll hear across the board from very poor to very to more affluent people just of God coming through 
helping them in fuel queues, helping them get something they needed to get at the shop, how we can help one another and be there for each other. So it also provides an amazing way that you can, like you were saying, serve your community at times like this. Yeah. So hang on a minute. Uh, Scott, you can answer this question probably. There's no electricity apart from uh, in the night. You guys would have no problems with that, right? There's no petrol. You can't get petrol for your vehicles. Um, there's no food. And there's absolutely no running water, is there, either, uh, that's available either. Um, we've got our one or two little problems, but you seem to, you seem to have an awful lot more. Um, can you tell us what it's like? What's the average life like at the moment and we're quite interested actually in the political scene most people have heard of Robert Mugabe and he's no longer around surely things are miles better now you need the microphone. yeah I think um, the disappointment for us in the last year has been that in the ousting of Mugabe and the, the joy of the potential that could have been there um, it is far worse than it was when he was there. And definitely, I would be saying I would rather have Mugabe than what we have. And I never, ever imagined that I would say that a year and a half, two years down the line. Um, just this last week, uh, the government has converted what they borrowed from the Reserve Bank, which is basically the entire wealth of the country, 20 billion US dollars. And they've linked it to what they call a bond note, which is a sort of pseudo currency. And they've said, don't worry, every bond note is backed by a US dollar. And now there's no more US dollars. And they're repaying the loans that they've taken in US dollars in these bond notes. So they've essentially taken the wealth of the economy out. So when you say what is it like, it's like an economy that has just stopped. And it's a very uh, stretching situation because essentially you become dependent on family and friends outside the country. We have a business in Mozambique that if it wasn't for we wouldn't be able to carry on living in Zimbabwe. So it's a crazy, crazy situation. In Mozambique, many people just live off the land, the vast majority of the population. When it's mango season, we're eating mangoes. When it's cashew season, we're eating cashews. When it's papaya season, we're eating papayas. But the thing for Zimbabwe is that it's come from such productivity and descended into that. And that is, has its own real, real challenges. And I think that's what we would feel. You know, 25 years ago, we were making some good money. We were buying properties, building churches, tithing hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now it's like, let's try and get what we need for this month. And let's think about next month, next month. And that's been a huge, huge journey. I know, Scott, that... Part of your calling is um, that you lead Disciple Nations, which is a um, family of churches, part of New Frontiers, and you work in, in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Malawi, and Zambia. And about, I don't know, nine, ten years ago, in order 
to create business and also felt God telling you to go and do something in Mozambique, not just to promote business in a very, very poor area, but also in terms of church planting. How, how did that work? How did that come about? Um, I don't I need it. No, I yes, you do. Oh, you do. I think I do. Uh, uh, I had the opportunity to take a wedding of a, a lady in our church who was the niece of a guy who had just started in Mozambique doing chickens, poultry, in a way that outgrowers could do, could do that. And he said to me that as many are coming to Christ and generating extra income, there's even greater temptation to compromise. And that more money actually means more hassle in many cases. Uh, and where the character is not really firm, the extra money just multiplies whatever rubbish is there and the need for a church plant. And so uh, I thought I would send someone there and I went for a recce. Um, is that a word you would know? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not Afrikaans, that's English or French. Yeah. And uh, while I was there, I heard people praying and singing in Portuguese and my heart was really stirred. I'd grown up with my father speaking Portuguese, but I hadn't learned and I'd heard mainly swear words. Uh, and so when I heard people worshipping in Portuguese, something went off in my heart and I really sensed God calling us there. And I shared that with Claire and she didn't uh, have, have the same sense. And when we shared it with our friends at church, we said, you know, we feel God leading us to move. They were like, don't tell us you're moving to England. Don't come and tell us. And when I said Nampula, I said, oh, that's okay. That's fine. Where is that? <laughs> So uh, that was the journey we went on, and I really felt we should start a business to sustain the church planting that came of that, and that resulted in starting layer chickens, and we have now just under 100,000 layer birds, and then after a few years, we started crocodiles, because that was complementary. Um, when the chickens die or go through the abattoir, all that protein just can go into a waste can go into a luxury product. And so the, the skins are aimed for the, the ladies' handbag market in Italy. And we've got 443 in the tannery at the moment, hoping to make their way to Gucci. But Milan is on lockdown. And the whole of Italy, and now I think the whole of Europe. So, yeah. Things you learn on a six o'clock uh, meeting are fantastic. So, um, Claire, tell us a little bit about what the, in all of this difficulty in Moz, but also probably mainly in Zim, what's the church like? That's one question I've got. I think people would be fascinated. I mean, is it, is it dying? Is everyone giving up? Um, I mean, I happen to have been there many times, so I know that's not the case, but kind of what's it like? And then I, I think, you know, everybody here knows about New Ground. We're in partnership with you. How, how important is it <clears throat> for you guys to feel that you're in partnership with people like us, basically. So there's kind of two questions. What's the church scene like? Why is partnership important? Um, church is actually amazing, and it's just been incredible how things have got harder. It's almost like people turn to God more, and um, we've seen amazing growth. Um, in 2015, we merged, we were about 350 maybe, meeting on a Sunday morning at, a, at Eastleigh, 
And then we merged with a church that was really struggling. It maybe had only about 20 people. Um, and uh, it's just been amazing. So we started having a Sunday morning there at GP, the new the merged church, and then at Eastley. Um, and now I think we're about 1,200 that meet on a Sunday. It's 1,400. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's really grown. Um, and so that's been really exciting just to see how um, God has grown the church and just people's love and passion for him and for one another. Um, I'm involved with the kids, the one to five-year-olds um, at the one site, and the classes are just bursting out. We have... We have 250 kids, I think, at that service, um, and we, we're at the point now of thinking we need to have another morning service because we actually can't fit the kids in. So it's really, really exciting. I, I love church. I love going on a Sunday morning. I love being involved with ladies during the week, um, and just really seeing people's love and passion for Jesus is so exciting. And then and it's just so wonderful having support um, from outside. It's just Dave and Liz last year came and visited us in Mozambique. And actually none of our families, well, Scott's brother came in once. Um, he had business to do in Mozambique with us, but none of our families have visited. And so it just felt like family was visiting us. It was just one of the most exciting things. Um, so just to feel that sense of support and the people that they've sent out to Mozambique to help um, encourage those that are there. And whenever they come into Zim, it's just such an encouragement. And particularly for oh, Scott and I personally, whenever Dave and Liz come out, they always take time just to say, how are you? How are things going? How's your marriage? It's, it's been such a key part of our relationship and us staying strong. Um, so we just so value it and are so thankful to God for it. Well, it's a two-way thing because we're just so thrilled and blessed as well by... In fact, just, just, we have a little chat on our own just right now. But we're just really blessed by them. The, 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 the faith levels, the, in the midst of difficulty, trusting God, having faith in God for everything that they're believing God, and then doing church in a way. To be honest with you, when I'm there in, in, amongst their churches, there's some of the most exuberant, um, expressive, loving, evangelistic communities I've ever seen. And yet it's right in the midst of, the, of all the difficulties. So we're going to run out of time, but I do have one final question which either of you can answer. It's a bit of an awkward one. You've been living with us this week, uh, and you've been swatching coronavirus through your own eyes it's going to be a difficult question. Have you got anything you want to say to us? Um, because I think you have different eyes because of where you come from for what we are going through at the moment. Um, uh, and you're going to get in a plane tomorrow, so you can say whatever you like and no one's going to shoot you. So, What do you do when you run out of loo roll? <laughs> loo roll? Um, I think it's just made me remember in 2007 and 8 when we were facing spiraling inflation and just people that would go to the supermarkets and be clearing stuff out with these huge trolleys and it's been quite interesting this time around when things have got so tough again, you haven't seen that, it's like people are far more just, you know what, I'm going to trust God or maybe they don't have the money to go and shop like we all used to but I think maybe what you were saying earlier just not thinking of yourself so much all the time, but being different and thinking of others and being like, no, I'm going to trust God. I'll go to the shop and I'll get what I need. I'm, you know, what can I get that I can bless someone else with? Um, 
I think, and even just like we were saying, they should start limiting items and just saying two per customer. We have that all the time. It's, it says only two per customer. Um, so it's, it's quite good. It deals with a lot of selfishness, I think. And I, I think we've definitely grown. Um, I know definitely I was one of them that would go and, and buy a whole lot of stuff and, and, and stockpile. But God's really worked on us. So I think in some ways it's exciting that God maybe is shaking some of the comforts and things. And we're having to learn to rely on him more and trust him for every day. The grace for what you need. I feel like there must be something I don't understand. Like, I don't get it at all. And I'm sure it's me, you know. Um, but I haven't worked out what the problem is. Um, this is a virus, and viruses go around. Uh, I don't think you can avoid it. Maybe there's like scientific stuff that you can slow it down or something. Um, I just, I don't understand. <laughs> just, well, I don't understand how, you know, this is a flu virus. Thousands of people die of flu viruses every year. So I don't see what this one, what's different. Yeah. But as I say, I'm sure it's me. <laughs> I missed something. So why don't we give these guys a big round of applause? And Scott's going to preach to us since we've just rearranged the furniture. Hi everyone, uh, it is very cool to be with you and I love the evening service at New Community, I've really looked forward to this and um, uh, as Dave was interviewing, uh, just to say that this partnership between Disciple Nations and New Ground is very, very special. Uh, I've known Dave for years and years, Dave and Liz, and he is the primary apostolic voice into our church in Harare, River of Life. Um, we started River of Life about 25 years ago with PJ Smythe. We were friends through school and then university. Uh, we'd met our wives and we married the year after university. And uh, it's just been incredible to see these friendships and relationships over the years. And as Claire said, we've been so blessed to have Dave connect us with different people over the years. And we had Phil and Emily out in Mozambique very recently, and they were an incredible blessing to us. And uh, another lady um, from Edinburgh, uh, Anne Graham, came down to visit. She's a medical doctor, a kind of turbo woman. Uh, he's, he's just an incredible person, and it looks like she may be connecting more longer term. And then I was in Eastbourne this morning, where Graham and Belinda Marsh were, but they're now in Zimbabwe for a couple of months, and they've been incredibly fruitful. Uh, we, we have an initiative called Africa Alive, and we're raising a next generational reformation network across Zimbabwe. And they're right immersed in the leadership of that, and discipleship and raising young men and women between 17 and 27 years old. And uh, we're just bypassing the whole of the 
uh, older age group in church and going for the demographic that Jesus called. And uh, I, I think John was about 15 when he was called and probably 18, 19 when Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And uh, I think we really are seeing a new day in Africa. And I think this kind of partnership has the potential for massive, massive kingdom advance and uh, eternities being changed. Father, thank you so much that we can go to your word and be strengthened in our inner beings that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray tonight for um, your encouragement in our hearts that would really change the way that we live. I ask, Lord, that we would be informed and inspired by your word to live for your glory with greater radiance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, to the book of Hebrews and chapter 10. And uh, this is a verse which I promise I had prepared to preach from, from this passage before coronavirus hit. It's the verse that says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. <laughs> the true story. And uh, I just am so excited because every single one of the contributions tonight sort of wove in to the direction that I'm taking. And uh, here we go, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The book of Hebrews is striking in its emphasis on the glory of Christ. As we heard tonight, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's striking in that, and it's also striking in that it says, and don't miss this Jesus. If you have come to be enlightened and seen and heard and tasted, understand that if you miss this, there's no other option. There's no other way. There's either eternal life with him forever and ever or eternal death and separation from him forever and ever. This is the big deal. And you have to catch the intensity of this message when you understand the context in which the book of Hebrews is written. It is written in AD 65 to 68 when Nero was in power, Caesar Claudius Nero, the infamous, perhaps the most awful man in history. He killed his own mother, Agrippina, in his political ambition 
to become Caesar. Over her dead body, he became Caesar Nero. He killed both of his wives. He killed Octavia, his second wife, in a rage of fury at eight and a half months pregnant. And he kicked her and brought the death of his child and his wife. He then had his male servant, Sipporus, castrated and he married him. And Sipporus would present in public as looking almost identical to Octavia, his second wife. He knew nothing of how to rule. He knew nothing of economics and politics. He knew stage and bravado and he wanted glory and he hated Christians and he wanted to build his um, palace in the middle of Rome and so he just set fire as tradition has it the great fire of Rome was set ablaze at his command and then he blamed the Christians for having done it and it just satisfied his cruel bloodthirsty compulsion for Christians' heads. And he had them impaled up the back and out wherever the stick came, alive, in oil, and set ablaze for light in his palace at night, and fed them to Christians. And these believers were Hebrews. So they were the, the scum of the Roman Empire, the Jews. Today, we, we hardly realize the stench of their reputation because we live today on the shoulders of great men and women before. I've got a quote from Latimer this evening, and there's just hundreds and thousands in these great buildings that we're in and how God has positioned the church today. We've come such a long way. They were the dregs. And they were even worse than Jews. They were the Christians. So they'd been outcasted from their own families. Even the Jews didn't want them. They were completely disenfranchised. And you just get glimpses of it through the book of Hebrews. Every now and then it says, remember when you fled for refuge. And the very scripture that you read, the verses immediately before, say the anchor of our soul. We're going to read them in a moment. Talk about you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you had a kingdom far above these things. Therefore, do not lose your confidence. All these messages are coming to these people in this situation. And it's absolutely extraordinary that the writer to the book of Hebrews does not start with any sense of sympathy. Doesn't go, dear brothers and sisters, I know you are facing challenges of so many kinds. Now I hope to encourage you, but I want to tell you I understand. He doesn't. He starts off just talking about Jesus. The beginning of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, the prophets. But in this case, he has spoken to us through his son. He's like, we are the most privileged. We're living life. This is, this is it. He just hasn't got the memo. 
who, who appointed, he appointed as heir of all things to whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. In case you didn't hear it the first time, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, capital M, on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he just goes on to extol Jesus, extol him and show that he is God. He says, of who did God say, let all God's angels worship him? He's saying, God the Father commands the angels to worship God the Son. This is who's walked among us. This is who we have. Yes, you've got Nero. Yes, you've got impaling things going through your body. Yes, you've got it. But look at what we've really got. And this is the way he's encouraging these guys. Get the picture, get the bigger picture. And in case you haven't seen that he is God, he goes here, verse eight. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. You have loved righteousness, verse nine, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. This is God the Father and God the Son talking together. God the Father saying to God the Son, your throne, O God, is established forever. And God, your God, has anointed you. You laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. Just get the picture of who God is. We don't understand what coronavirus is and I, and I am probably the worst. But we need to get some picture of who God is. And he keeps, it keeps saying here, yeah, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I don't know if you've heard recently the latest estimation of the size of the universe. But 60 years ago, they thought we were one galaxy or maybe multiple galaxies. And then they upgraded and they said, no, it's, it's at least a hundred. And then they upgraded and said, no, it's at least a thousand. And then they upgraded and said, at least 10,000. Then went to a hundred thousand. Galaxies are like millions of light years big, trillions of stars in each galaxy. And then they said, no, the estimated size of the universe is a million galaxies. And if you go home tonight and go on Wikipedia, the source of all truth, <laughs> the latest revised size of the universe is between two and three trillion galaxies. He holds it together by his word. I mean, I don't know if there's any other way in, in human expression to de describe power and to say you hold the universe by your word. This is who is in us. This is who is in these believers. This is the reality. Nero is a reality. And the lions are a reality. And coronavirus is a reality. And Boris Johnson is a reality. <laughs> and Donald Trump and Emerson Mnangagwa and you and me. But there is a reality far greater than any of these things. And the writer to Hebrews just goes on to talk about how great Jesus is. 
In chapter 2, it goes on to say he is higher than all the angels. Chapter 3, he is greater than Moses. Chapter 4, he's greater than the Sabbath. Chapter 5, he's greater than the priesthood. Chapter 6, he's greater than the promise. Chapter 7, greater than Melchizedek. Chapter 8, greater than the covenant, the old covenant. Chapter 9, he's greater than the temple itself. Chapter 10, he is the fulfillment of the law. And we get to this verse that I read in the beginning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, for the day is drawing near. And if you have a look at verse 32, this is the context. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes partnering with others. And you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves, you yourselves, you're in a different place. You knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's very similar to what Catherine read out from chapter six. She read out the verse that says, um, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. The verse just immediately before says, by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so he's saying, we face all these challenges and difficulties, but there is an anchor, there is a robustness that enables us to have a firm faith in an infirm world. A robust faith in a shaking context. And then uh, chapter 11 goes into the stories of faith, the heroes of faith all down the ages. And we get the opportunity in 2020 to step into that story and live out what faith looks like today. Because the challenges Moses faced were Moses' challenges. And the challenges Joseph faced were Joseph's challenges. I do not believe that the challenges Claire and I face in Harare, Zimbabwe are any more difficult to the challenges you face in London, UK. Possibly your challenges are harder. The reality is the enemy hates us. We are made in the image of God. We are people of eternal life. And he is hell bent on our destruction. He wants us confused, in doubt, in disbelief. And that is what this whole book is about. Believe. Stand in faith that what he says is true in your generation. And it is a fight of faith. I 
think the ferocity and the intensity of that fight in London honestly is greater than anything I face. You're in the lion's den. This is for real. You're not playing namby-pamby games. It might look like that. It might look like a nanny society and we're all about risk assessment. I mean, I didn't know that phrase until recently. What, what it, and it might look, but that is an insidious lie. It's, and, and the trappings of riches. It's another insidious to just lull you into, ah, oh, this doesn't, no, this is not a big issue. This is the fight of faith that you have. And I'd love to land it with three practical examples for you that I believe you will have to fight day by day. The first one comes from the first part of this verse that says, let us hold fast then the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And this is the vital, vital first step, which is to hold fast to Christ. And uh, I quoted this at the men's breakfast. I'm just loving this from C.S. Lewis in Basic Christianity. He says this, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, and letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. There's so many words that you could choose here, but the one I love is the word taking. Taking that other point of view. And what's going to happen is this, this fight, this intense battle for faith is going to begin the moment you wake up. It's not like it's out there somewhere. It's right with you the moment you wake up. And you'll need to turn on BBC or Sky News or whatever internet connection you have, and get the message. But there is a message that needs to be first in our hearts. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do not worry about all these other things. Your heavenly father knows you have need of them. We are all going to die at some point, whether it's of TB or malaria or HIV or a car accident or a plane crash or as the lady that I met when we presented a paper to the Zambian government last week, 94 years old, called her children in and prayed with them at seven in the morning and then said, please make me breakfast. And while they were out, she pulled the sheet over her head, folded her hands and passed away. However we go, we are going. And on that day, we will stand before the throne of God. I don't know whether you like Messi or you like Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo is the best because he's Portuguese. But these guys are showered in glory. 
absolutely showered in glory. When Messi dribbles through, dribbles through into the top corner. Wow. And then his girlfriend walks next to him and she's got a skirt like this. Like, Messi, Messi. Messi will come and go. Coronavirus will come and go. Boris Johnson will come and go. If there's nothing of this world that will stand. And the scripture says the only thing that will count in that moment is faith expressed in love. Not our health, not our bank account, not anything of this world will be a prop. It will be the authenticity of our faith. And without that faith, we are in eternal peril. And that is the reality that he encouraged these believers with. You think you've got nothing. You think you're on the losing side. You're on the winning side. Live like it. Die like it. I was in Oxford about nine months ago and I stood on the place where Hugh Latimer was martyred, 1555. And the Catholic Church was forcing these reformers to recant their faith in Christ. They were, they were denigrating the Catholic doctrines that we earn our salvation. And Latimer refused. And the story's told of him being burned at the pyre with his young disciple, Ridley. And the famous quote, as the flames were taking, he says to Ridley, play the man, Master Ridley. In other words, man up. Don't worry about these flames. Play the man, Master Ridley. Today is lit by God's grace, a candle that will never go out in all England. These guys had a perspective that their lives were to be lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it comes from a deep, deep relationship with Christ. It's where it came from when Jesus hung on the cross. That moment of absolute injustice, upheaval, beyond explanation, darkness. And in that chaos, the absolute victory. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then that final cry of total victory. It is finished there is a different agenda those of us who believe in Christ this is the preoccupation of our lives comes from the secret place Jesus had been in Gethsemane sweating blood father not my will be done but your will be done even the disciples couldn't stay awake that's where it came from. And I want to encourage you today. 
for robust faith in a shaking world. It's going to come the moment you wake up. This church God has used mightily across the earth. From these square meters, so many people have been sent who have saved millions. There are literally hundreds of thousands, millions of lives that are being changed by what has happened in this very room. You are part of the story. And John's first point tonight, in this chaos, point one, pray. Second thing I want to point out from this passage is the church. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And this is so spectacular that the apostle goes from the relationship with Jesus holding firm to him whose promise is faithful to stir one another up, be committed to one another. And the nice thing about the relationship with Jesus is he's perfect. And so it's, it's easier. But when we interact with each other, we, now the problems come. And this is where we have to consider how to stir one another up. And I want to encourage you to get stuck into your local church. And there's going to be creative ways that groups happen in this meeting together. And that's going to be the exciting thing. And I'm with you. I think it's one of the most exciting things. I think small groups are going to come into play more and more. Consider how we can stir one another to love and good deeds. And it's so important to bind together. It's like the Springbok rugby team together against the English. Actually, maybe that's not the ideal illustration. But when I think of binding together, I think of the props and the, the, the locks getting in behind and the eighth man. And it's just bang. It's real, real intentionality. And you need to come at the church with your time, with your talents, with your treasures building up the body, building up the body, so that as we go out into the world, which again, the words of the song read by, by Chris. Chris, you know, it's all, oh, turn your eyes on Jesus and go into the world with this message. And as you build the church, millions of lives will be changed. And the amazing thing is in heaven, we will see how that happened. And the last one says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, there is a day coming where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And I believe we need to be in full intentionality. We need to partner together in an intensity of partnership that sees the greatest number of souls come to Christ. And we in Mozambique and in Zimbabwe and in Zambia have wide open opportunities. Right now in Mozambique, we're in the second poorest nation where 80% of the population live north of the Zambezi River and share 20% of the resources. 80% of the people share 20% of the resources of the second poorest nation in the world. And we're building a school right in the middle. And I, I do the maths and I think about a church that's 500 people strong. And just driving here this evening, I thought about this phrase, small change for big change. 
And I thought, if everybody gave 25 pounds, 25 pounds times 500 is some huge number. It's like 12 and a half thousand pounds. We need like $100,000 a year for five years to build a school that can change the whole culture of Northern Mozambique. And honestly, we can do it on the small change of two or three churches of 500 strong. I think in the years ahead, we're going to wise up to how we can partner. And it's going to be treasure. And it's going to be talent. And it's going to be time. And how we invest this together. And it's always going to be built on these relationships. Relationship with Jesus. Real closeness of relationship with him. Relationship in the local church. Where you're earthed and partnered locally. And then allowing God to use us globally. Beyond these borders beyond these nations, beyond the continents, to the ends of the earth.